On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about parking fees in the city. They're going up. Not by a ton, but they're going up. Should you be fired up about this? Is this one of those things to get geared up about? Or is this one of those things where you look and you say, well, all right, we'll discuss that one. And also, we're going to be chatting about the Olympics. There is talk that the Olympics could be canceled because of the coronavirus, the Olympics in Tokyo. Is that really going to happen? When you hear how much money has been spent on the Tokyo Olympics, is it really going to happen that they're going to shut the thing down? We will discuss that one. Oh, and to wrap it up, we'll be talking about slang from across the country. How well do you know other parts of Canada's slang terms? Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. By June or July, you can probably expect, unless something goes way off track and it doesn't sound like it's going to, you can probably expect to be paying a little more if you plan to park on a Hamilton street at a meter or in a public parking lot. Council has voted to increase hourly meter rates from $1.50 an hour to $2 an hour and parking lots will go up to $3 to $3 an hour. And the other thing that was voted on today that apparently is going to come to fruition is that you will be able in time, probably again by around the time that these increases go into action, uh, you'll be able to do this without having to have tons of coins on you. You don't need, if you're going to be there for three hours, you're not going to need $6 worth of dimes. (laughs) Thank goodness. Who carries that many dimes anyway? Um, you will be able to use your smartphone now. There's going to be an app coming that will allow you to use your meter with an app on your phone. So why is this all this happening? Besides the obvious, let's bring in War 2 Counselor Jason Farr. Jason, thanks for doing this today. No problem, Scott. Thank you for having me on your program. Well, let's start with the latter part of that. Let's start with the uh, with the app thing and with the idea of paying on the phone. I, I assume we are talking about an app here rather than changing the techno- the infrastructure and changing all the meters out. It's going to be much more simple than that. Yeah, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, it's being beta tested as we speak. And last year, our enforcement officers already had the tech on their person. So their their gadgets have been adapted to accommodate. Do you know how this works? Do all the meters have to be changed in order to put something into them for the app, or is it as simple as every parking spot now has a number and you just plug in the number? Are you asking me to give you a detailed assessment of algorithms? <laughs> uh, if that's the case, we're in trouble. Uh, but you, you hit the nail on the head. Basically what this is is a convenience that a lot of comedian, uh, communities already have. And it is an app. So uh, the best way to describe it, I think, is let's have a hypothetical scenario where Scott Radley is with his wife celebrating their blank anniversary at a restaurant. They're parked at a meter with the app technology. They've paid via the app. They know because they've been alerted by the app that their parking uh, is going to expire in 10 minutes, five minutes. And then right there, without leaving that intimate, most special, precious moment, uh, Scott gets to use his device just for that purpose, of course, because all attention should be on your wife during that anniversary dinner to up a few minutes or a half an hour or whatever it's going to take because you're having such a great time. So no longer do you need the dimes, have you, as you mentioned, Scott, as long as you have the application and you can do it right there in your seat wherever you are. You don't have to race back to the meter hoping you have the correct change. And you know what? On that part, I think a lot of people are going to say, okay, I like that. I like that I don't have to bolt out of the restaurant. I like that I don't have to bolt out of the movie theater, wherever I am. 
and I can get this thing covered. The I, part of the idea, obviously, for this is to make some extra money for the city with the with the app. But will this not cut into some of the city's revenues? Because presumably, I would think, Jason, that if you can do that now so conveniently, I would expect you're going to have fewer parking tickets written, won't you? I would expect as well, once more people have the app and are adjusted to it, there are still regulations. So if you happen to be dining in the greater downtown area where most meters have a time limit of two hours and you're having such a good time, your app won't let you go beyond that. You might still get a violation if you don't get back within that time frame, though, Scott. So there's there's a, 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 a great many variables to this. Currently, do we? you could argue, do we use uh, lose revenue when someone uses one of our parking machine boxes and then gives their ticket they haven't parked the whole half hour to the person pulling up behind them and so that person doesn't have to pay. It's sort of pay it forward scenario that really does play out. It, it happens all the time. So we well, there's foregone revenue there. Had they just driven away, that person would have had to pay the 30 minutes that they were given by the person who just left. That's just another variable. There are many. So there's that, there's there's uh, 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 every expectation that our revenue is going to go up, but for the most part, that's because with this new uh, technology that's quite obviously a great advantage to those people uh, that want to use the parking meters, they are uh, going to be paying more. Uh, according to the vote today, uh, moved by Mayor Fred Eisenberger, all but two were supportive of raising those rates 50, 50 cents an hour to get us to $2 an hour. We're at $1.50 now. Uh, and, and still be within our comparators, uh, our comparator municipalities, but have that technology that's much more convenient. Our rates in this city are pretty low, to be honest. Drive to Toronto and see what they're like. Now, we're not Toronto. I'm not suggesting, because Councillor Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor Jason Farr is on the line with us. I don't want to give him any ideas to give us Toronto prices in the city. No. But the other side of this, Jason, is the reason that I'm okay with this is because this, I have no problem generally when we need to find revenues, and heaven knows we need to find revenues in the city and cut things. I'm much happier with a user fee for someone who is using a facility or using something than a flat tax that everybody gets nailed with. I hear you, and I appreciate that. And you might be even more in favor uh, when you know that this item that I asked for last week, financial impacts of parking rate increases, uh, took us from a 3.0 tax increase, currently where we sit, we're still looking at mitigation, to a 2.9. So it added up to about 1.6, 1.7 million when you, you know, look at all the different scenarios that we moved and approved today minus two votes. So the 50 cents on the on-street meters, the weekend parking payment, uh, we'd be making 40k annually. We're not charging in some areas for weekends. The three dollar an hour, as you say, and the twelve dollar downtown parkades. That's uh, specific to downtown and lots, and that's 370k of uh, net additional revenue. 306 additional revenues uh, yearly, uh, with a ten dollar a month increase on monthly permits. So if you have a city lot you're parking with on a permit basis monthly that will go up by 10 and then parking penalties scott i'm not sure if you mentioned that we could make net impact uh a revenue of 383,000 with an increase in parking penalties so when you get a ticket it'll be a little bit more but i mean a little more i think it's in the sense not the dollars uh but when you add up all those tickets it's pretty significant uh, don't quote me on that but it's it's definitely puts us at a comparator uh, penalty payment uh, across the board by doing that. All of that is a net impact of a positive, roughly 1.6, that took us today at one point from a 3.0 to 
to a 2.9. Is this something that uh, when we talk about user fees, like if you want to drive and you want to park, that's your choice and you can, uh, I don't have a problem, as I said, rather than getting everyone to pay for it. Could we see these kind of things? I know not for this year, the budget's basically almost done, but going forward, could we see more of these kind of things in this city where we see the user fees taking over from the flat taxes or is that something that you don't think there's an appetite for? That's a tough one. I mean, it's certainly been talked about in the past, and, um, you know, we do adjust our, our user fees, all of them across the board, and there are many, uh, mostly with inflation. Sometimes they go up at a higher rate because, as an example, maybe a bylaw enforcement ends up costing more in the year before, and so uh, we reflect that in an increase. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, I don't know if we're going to see that anytime very soon, but what I have noticed, and I'm glad you asked the question, is more and more effort from council across the board to, to discover ways to work with staff to, to get mitigation. Uh, and in cases like this, it, it, we, we ask for some adjustments to get to where our comparators are as it relates to parking, and we find that, you know, it's a revenue tool of uh, or increase of about one6 a million annually every year. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good question. Um, but we, we, it's. I think your question, the prevailing theme is, we, we need to be creative, think outside the box, and look at. Uh, you know, still, obviously, this term has been the biggest challenge of all in my ten, but not slicing and dicing the services that the taxpayers have grown to hopefully love and definitely respect. Well, and, and let's be clear, I, I and everyone listening probably are not in asking for or encouraging higher taxes by this. It's like if, if we're no. going to have to pay for stuff, let's, as you say, let's find more creative ways. Now, there will be some people, and you know this, I'm not breaking any oh, yeah. news to you, uh, will be saying, well, what you're doing, though, is you're going to be making it by increasing the parking prices more difficult, disincentivizing parking at downtown stores or other places rather than just going to the free mall parking lots. What do you say to that? Well, we did some consultation. We certainly talked to the BIAs. Uh, Dundas BIA, as an example, didn't want anything touched. We had, uh, and I think Arlene Vanderbeek was the other opposing vote. In fact, I know it, along with Councillor Clark. Uh, the International Village BIA said, yeah, we're, uh, essentially, we're okay, but you need to reflect, uh, better technology at the same time that rate increase happens. And I should note that we listened to that and we will not increase the rates on the meters until the tech, uh, rolls out and it should be late June, early July, as we heard today. Um, and then you get the downtown BIA where, where the conversation, Scott, and maybe you and Michael talk about this on Friday with the smartest, uh, a team and radio segment that you do, and I heard you talk about the bike lanes uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, and I happen to have talked to Fortune since, but the prevailing theme that we do have, believe it or not, as a mandate of council, is to focus on multimodal options. The best way to convince people to get out of their cars and maybe take transit or cycling, whether you agree or disagree with transit or cycling or cycling lanes or any of that stuff, but multimodal transportation to encourage that and thus get less cars on the road and so the people that choose to drive have an easier time driving is to charge more for parking than you do for a bus pass. I mean, right now, it's cheaper to park than take a bus in this city. We're getting to the point where that's not the case. And therefore, you know, you hopefully, like other cities, you find that the mentality changes for some and they choose other options. And that's what we want. I mean, that that fits under a number of different, uh, not just budget umbrellas, but mandates of council as it relates to the environment, as it relates to our transportation master plan, which you and I have talked about before. Uh, uh, transit plans, you know, we're investing heavily in transit. What good is it if no one 
chooses to take the bus or we don't see increase or we don't continue to see increasing numbers of people using that option. So that's a big piece too and one that the downtown BIA and I sit at those, that table uh, talk have talked about for a long, long time and that of course is our largest BIA and when you review the motion that you and I have been talking about today, a lot of this stuff reflects specifically or a number of these items respect specifically to the downtown. Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor, thanks for the time. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Uh, again, just to be clear, I'm not in favor of bigger taxes in the city. But if we have to find resources, I would generally prefer rather than taxing everybody for stuff they don't use to let people pay for the stuff they do. Generally, there's always exceptions. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There is talk going on right now about whether or not the Tokyo Olympics in July are at risk because of the spread of the coronavirus. Japan, of course, not all that far from China where the virus is most prevalent or South Korea where there are also issues going on. And let's not kid ourselves. If a full-on pandemic was to break out, there's not too many athletes or support staff or fans who would want to be part of putting themselves in the middle of that. And even if they did, Japan, I don't know if they would be able to handle the outbreak and outbreak if it were to happen with tens of thousands of additional visitors on its shores that suddenly now are sick. So perhaps it's not ridiculous that the idea could be an issue, except for one thing. These games were supposed to cost $7.3 billion. $7.3 billion was the initial budget price. According to the LA Times a few weeks ago, though, the cost is now pushing $26 billion. So you think Japan is going to be okay canceling the games after dropping that kind of coin into their buildings and into their party? Let me bring in Dr. Jules Boykoff. He is a political science professor at Pacific University in Oregon. He's also author of four books on the Olympics, including, among them, Power Games, A Political History of the Olympics. He joins us now. Dr. Boykoff, thanks for doing this today. Thank you. Uh, the, the organizers today of the Olympics had a press conference or a press release or something and said, and this is their quote, they have never discussed canceling the games. Do you believe that? Well, it's hard to know what happens in the inner circle of the International Olympic Committee, but they will be meeting in the next couple of days in Lausanne, and if they don't talk about the coronavirus and what's happening with it, then they've been pretty derelict in their duties. I was going to say, I mean, I, if they're telling the truth, um, they're either the world's greatest optimists or they're derelicts or morons or something. I mean, I don't know what other words you would want to use, but surely if they haven't already, they've got to pretty soon at least discuss it, don't they? Sure. And over the next couple of days, the executive committee of the International Olympic Committee is meeting and it, they're going to be talking about this. They just absolutely have to be. The rest of the world is. It'd be a shocker if they weren't. Am I too cynical to suggest that if I drop $26 billion with a B, $26 billion on this, um, you, you, Japan wants to have its games? It's, it's going to be fighting hard to not let anyone make a decision that would say we're going to pull the plug? Yeah, well, first of all, let me just uh, commend you, because not everybody who reports on the Olympics mentions that originally in the bid materials, they were only supposed to cost only $7.3 billion. And now, as you say, the LA Times and others reporting at $26 billion plus. And that's from an official government audit, by the way, from, from Japan. So, you know, there's that. But I think you're right that the money is where to start thinking about what's going to happen. 
It won't be the only thing that determines the future, but you can bet that there are a number of entities that have thrown in big bucks for the Olympics, not just the organizers in Tokyo. But let's not forget that in the United States here, where I'm speaking with you from, NBC forked over $4.4 billion back in 2011 for broadcasting rights for the Olympics through 2020. And then they pitched in another whopping $7.7 billion for the Olympics running through 2032. So for them, the games must go on short of a global pandemic. And you really can't move them to later in the season because you start to bump up against other things that NBC is broadcasting, such as professional football here in the United States. And so they're in a bit of a pinch there, but that also creates some pressure to move ahead with the Olympics in some fashion, even if it's with no fans, but in some fashion moving forward, if for no other reason than to appease those who've tossed in these billions of dollars. You just raised about six issues. I was furiously scribbling notes because I'm going to go through some of these from what you just said in that last answer. Um, Let's start with the TV idea, because in the past for a generation now, more than a generation, TV has been the giant that has driven sports and, and has had a massive say in whether it's football or Olympics or anything else, in when games are played. And they've had, I mean, they just are able to call a lot of shots. Now, we know TV isn't the same as it was with the internet and streaming and everything else, but is it still, is NBC still powerful enough to be able to flex its muscles and say, no, 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 the games are going on? There's no question that broadcasters, especially NBC, hold tremendous power in terms of what happens with the Olympics. Now, if the coronavirus crosses a line and becomes a global pandemic, even NBC, with all their billions in their coffers, probably won't be able to determine the outcome. But you can bet that they will try to influence what happens. I've been in Olympic City after Olympic City. I lived in Rio de Janeiro in the lead-up to those Olympics, and I was there for the actual game. Same with London. I lived there in the lead-up, and I was there for the actual Olympics in 2012. And, you know, it is really a made-for-TV event in a lot of ways, in the sense that most everyday people in the Olympic City are barely affected at all. There is something that some people refer to, even economists refer to, as a feel-good factor, where people are just kind of generally uplifted. It's kind of exciting. This is happening in your town. But that is kind of as far as it goes for most people in the Olympic City. They might get excited to be hosting folks, but it's not necessarily a money-making opportunity for them. And so if you look at what the Olympics have become, which is largely a made-for-television event, it maybe opens up the opportunity to hold the Olympics basically just for television and not allow fans in, that opens up the question of would it even be the same if there were no fans? I mean, I find it hard to imagine, although we've seen examples of this happening around the world right now of of different leagues, for example, soccer leagues around the world, hosting games without fans. And it really loses the spirit of the excitement of it. But, you know, maybe that would be okay for the Olympics, maybe, at least for the broadcaster's point of view, and put these images on the screen and just sort of minimize the role that the crowd play, because there wouldn't be a crowd, and just get on with it and keep taking in the money that you get from the commercials for the Olympics, which is part of what drives this entire process. It is a it is quite a visual that you sort of put out there of these empty arenas. Because, I mean, look, you mentioned about the feel-good thing. We're just now uh, up here, been talking over the last number of days because it's been the 10th anniversary of Sidney Crosby and the Golden Goal and the Vancouver Olympics and all the rest from 2010, which was a great feel-good 
event for Canada, but I take all, take the crowds out of the facilities while Canada is winning those gold medals. And I don't know what you have left. You just have games going on, but that all that extra juice is not there that made it so special. Yeah, I mean, look, I, this is one of those strange examples where I can actually speak from personal experience that when I started my professional soccer career, I played in some stadiums. It was a new league uh, that, that really didn't have a strong fan base in places like Los Angeles where, where there was a team. So I played in stadiums when there was, where there were basically more popcorn vendors than there were fans. <laughs> and it was freaky. It was haunting. And for us as visitors, it was kind of an advantage because you didn't have the home team rooting you on. But I, I remember it to this day as being this haunting kind of zany affair. And, and that was just a professional soccer match for an indoor soccer league that was getting underway here in the United States. Think about that for the Olympics. It's kind of unfathomable in a lot of ways. It's really, it really is. The Olympics wouldn't be the same without the fans there. But that doesn't mean that NBC and others wouldn't mind just proceeding without the fans. If, 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 it's either, if it comes down to the choice of hosting the Olympics without fans, or, you know, not hosting the Olympics at all, my guess is that those who've thrown money into the game would prefer the former and not the latter. And, you know, NBC, as you say, carries a lot of weight in this, but I have to think when you mention the fans, I mean, there's an awful lot of people who, I don't know what it would cost these days to fly to Tokyo and pay for your hotel rooms that have been with jacked up prices for the Olympic week that's probably non-refundable and with your tickets that you've paid for and all the rest, but it wouldn't shock me if people were dropping 10 or 15 grand for a stint over there. They're not going to be thrilled if you suddenly tell them, oh, by the way, um, we're not, you know, it's not like you can't get insurance because you're not canceling it for health reasons, but there's not going to be anything going on here when you arrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely another factor involved here is having to disappoint people that were actually looking forward to attending the Olympics and not being able to do so. There's so much money that floats through the Olympic system. And in general, it tends to float upwards toward those who already have money, whether it's NBC, whether it's the well-connected developers in Tokyo and elsewhere that host the Olympics. You know, and I've talked to folks recently in Tokyo who are somewhat critical of the Olympics, and they told me that, you know what, we've already kind of lost. Like, we've already given over these billions of dollars. We've already changed the laws in our city to accommodate higher buildings. So so let me just step back for a second. They had to actually change the ordinance in Tokyo that allowed people to build buildings higher in order to accommodate the national stadium that was being built for the Olympics. This, in turn, allowed well-connected local developers to build a lot of the buildings that they had even higher, which is to say it prized more money out of folks for rent. Those things have been done. The decimation of communities, the eviction of people. When I was in uh, Tokyo last July, I met a bunch of people that were evicted because of the Olympic Games and venues that were being built where they lived. In fact, I met two people who were displaced by both the 1964 Olympics and also by the current 2020 Olympics. And here's something for you. They wouldn't even allow their faces to be on camera. They didn't allow us to take pictures. I wrote a couple articles with a friend of mine about it. And they wouldn't even allow us to use their full name because they were fearful of retribution from the powerful people in society. So the Olympics bring with them lots of advantage for those who already have advantage. And this will really throw a wrench in that. And perhaps they'll highlight that to people who, when you see those flailing around and saying, we absolutely can't stop the Olympics, they must go on. You got to look and like you've been indicating yourself, where's the money flowing? Why are they saying this? What does money have to do with it? 
Do you think the IOC is concerned that if you were to cancel the Olympics, even if it was for a reason because a pandemic had broken out, do you think they worry that it damages the brand, that we were not able to go ahead? You know, I'm not really sure. To be honest, I, I try to maintain my independence from the International Olympic Committee, and thus I don't really consort with them on any kind of level, although I've met with a few of them at events where I was speaking, and they happen to be there, people like the vice president, uh, um, El Mutawakel, uh, who's a, a hurdler and now member of the International Olympic Committee. Um, but, you know, I don't know really what they think. You, if you want to know, I would say start with Richard Pound up there in Canada because he seems to be the one who's most willing to talk about these things in a more open way. Many of the others haven't been around for the length of time that Richard Pound has, some 40 years plus, and they tend to be more yes people for Tomas Bach. So if I were you, I'd try to book Richard Pound on your show and see what he has to say about all this. We have had him on before, and uh, it, it certainly is something that uh, that we will probably be doing in the days ahead. Now, you mentioned that you were in Rio before the uh, last ones, right? 2016. Rio was That's 2016, right? right? Okay. I, they start to all blend together after a while. But um, <laughs> but this isn't the first time, and I bring up Rio, because this isn't the first time that there has been talk ahead of a games of the games being canceled. I mean, Rio, I remember just, you know, before that one, they were talking about dead bodies floating in the harbor and garbage and everything else. And, and, you know, before that in Athens, when, when the games were in Athens, it was not long after 9-11 and everybody was terrified that it was going to be a, a hot spot for terror activities. And yet they always seem to find a way to make them go, which leads me to believe that somehow, even if there is still coronavirus, somehow this thing is still going to plunge ahead. Well, it's interesting because coronavirus does seem to be different from what Rio experienced. You'll remember that the Zika virus hit Rio right ahead of, of the Olympics, and there were calls to close it down, even calls from people who are in the medical field that said, you know, we shouldn't proceed. It's irresponsible to proceed. One difference, though, was that Zika tended to have the most negative effects on women who are pregnant, whereas the coronavirus has negative effects on pretty much everybody. I mean, sure, it's, it's much worse for those who are older or who are injured or who are disabled in some sense, um, but it affects everybody pretty intensely. And so there's a little bit of a difference there. I really do think we are in uncharted waters here with this coronavirus in terms of its relationship with the Olympics, even compared to last Olympics that have been questioned, like Rio, but also even canceled, as was the case in the 1940s around World War II and back in 1916 with Berlin. This, if the Games are canceled, would be lumped into that group for totally different reasons. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really an open question right now. It really is. Is there any, i got to let you go in just a minute here, but is there any um, precedent anywhere for saying, you know what, okay, so we've got this situation right now, but again, Tokyo has put in $26 billion. I know the Olympics are every four years, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to move it to 2021, let this thing settle down, and we'll just do it one year later. Could that happen? There's not a precedent with the Olympics for that. If you go back to 1940, where actually the games were also slated to occur in Tokyo, But three years prior to that, Japan was engaging in war with China. And about two years before the 1940 Olympics, leaders in Japan realized this was just not going to happen. And so they relinquished the games back in 38. And those were given to Helsinki, 
But then World War II was in place at that time and and basically meant that they couldn't host the games in Helsinki and they were totally canceled. So there has been a transfer of the games before in that particular case. But that's been a long time ago and they still had a couple years to work with and the Olympics weren't nearly as big as they are today. I mean, today there's 11,000 athletes, thousands of members of the media. I've heard discussions of the possibility of moving them to London because Rio is just simply not ready for them. A lot of the buildings and venues have fallen into various dilapidated states, and there's just not the interest from everyday people there as well, not to mention the fact that they have a hateful regime in place from uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who, who's a lot of his rhetoric absolutely clashes with the good principles in the in the Olympic Charter, but there's been some discussion of maybe moving the games to London. In fact, one of the people named Sean Bailey, who's running for mayor of London, said, hey, we'll take those games. We're ready for it. Well, the truth is they're not ready for it. I mean, just take the Olympic Village. Where are you going to put those 11,000 athletes? Back in London, there was the big Olympic Village that they built special for it, but they converted it afterwards into condominiums, and they sold those off. I mean, what are you going to do? Tell the people who are now living in those condominiums that they have to move out because we have to have these Olympic athletes move in on like a month's notice? It's just not happening. And so logistics will prevent moving it from to either Rio or to London unless they decide to change the games in a totally dramatic fashion and have like people putting uh, athletes on their couches and stuff like that, which might be kind of interesting. <laughs> Billing an athlete. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Well, and, and it's funny when you said about the guy, the, the leader in Rio, whose principles don't jibe with the Olympic ideal. Uh, as you're saying that, all I can think of is, yeah, but there's games coming up in Beijing in the next little while. So, you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're open to, point. we're open to being pliable on our, on our charter and on what we really stand for. Uh, last thing, Dick Pound, you mentioned Dick Pound a moment ago, former vice president of the IOC. I think he's still involved, but, um, he said, uh, the other day that it would be a two to three month window out would be your last, you know, the moment when you would have to make a decide to fish or cut bait. That gives us about a month and a half. Is a month and a half, do you think, enough time to make a decision on this? Or are we going to get into, you mentioned uncharted territory, really uncharted territory where we're way later than that and trying to figure something out? Right. So he was quoted in an AP story suggesting that this had to be sorted out by the end of May. And I think that's a fairly aggressive uh, timeline to be figuring it out. I think a more conservative timeline would, would be more like a month, month, maybe a month and a half at the most. But, you know, he's given it a couple months. You know, maybe he knows more than we do. He hangs out with the IOC. He's a member of the IOC. So maybe maybe they know something we don't. But to, to cancel it um, sooner makes more sense to me. But it all depends on how the you know, coronavirus evolves and what happens, especially in Tokyo, but also in other places around the world. It's a fascinating topic. I uh, really appreciate your insights in this. Dr. Jules Boykoff, again, uh, you can go and look him up uh, he, if you're interested in this topic. He's got l- four books out on the Olympics, lots of other writings at his website, julesboykoff.org. Uh, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Talk to you later. It is, uh, it's, it's a, boy, it's a tough one because if the Olympics were, I mean, not that, million is chump change by any stretch. It's not. But if the Olympics were a $50 million thing, you go, you know, it's a risk we took and stuff can happen. And I guess we can put it off and it's not the end of the world. Although $50 million, as I say, is $50 million, but $26 billion, apparently, according to a government 
study in Japan or government audit, 26 billion, not the 7.3 that was promised, 26 billion, almost four times the original budget has been spent. How do you go to Japan? not go, how do you turn to the people who are behind this and have put the money in, in the city of Tokyo and the government of Japan and say, yeah, we're concerned about the coronavirus, so Olympics are off. Sorry about your $26 billion. Think about that, how much money that is. Think about what you could do with $26 billion. I mean, this is the risk. But how do you do that? I mean, it, it seems to me that You're almost at the point, unless you can come up with something very creative, that the IOC is going to just be plunging ahead regardless. Now, for the record, as we talked about last week, here in North America, I'm not falling into the hysteria about coronavirus at this point. I'm just not. 500, the World Health Organization, as we discussed last week, World Health Organization said 560,000 people around the world every year die of the flu. There have been 3,000 that have died of coronavirus. I'm not yet getting hysterical about this. However, it is obviously a very pressing issue in other parts of the world, not North America. And China is the epicenter, and Japan, as I say, is not all that far from China. And it's not that it jumps across the water, the virus does, but it, that's not that far to travel. And you could imagine that that becomes a more difficult issue over there to decide on. But $26 billion, you're going to tell someone, we're going to cancel it and you're just going to eat the $26 billion? Hmm. Good luck with that discussion. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I don't know if you ever traveled across this great land of ours. I've been to Vancouver and Victoria and I've been to... Where have I been to? New Brunswick, on out the other way. Never to Newfoundland, never to Nova Scotia, never to PEI yet. Although, some family was in PEI not long ago and said, you know, you got to go look on realtor.ca. Look at some of the house prices in PEI. Man, oh man, if I had no ties to this area, I mean, I love Hamilton, I don't want to leave. But if I had no ties to this area, the prices of houses out there, my goodness, pack up and whew, gone. You want to go half and half on a house in PEI? You know, we looked at one, we found one online, not that I'm, this is not a real estate show, but it was five acres on the top of a hill overlooking the Atlantic Ocean with an older farmhouse, not fancy, but certainly very livable, not falling apart, not decrepit, 150 grand. And it had a, a, an outside, a second building for like a big garage and a second home, like bunkhouse, 150 grand. And I was like, why am I living here? Meanwhile, you can only get a bunk in Toronto yeah, because, for hundred Because I grand. love it here, but some days, I'm telling you. Is there you... any good radio stations out there? That's the question. Uh, Eyesed by FM. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, okay, so, but we do across this country have jargon that is unique to certain parts of the country. Now, some of it has spread, some of it has traveled so that we now use it all over the place, but I'm going to bring Ben in here and I'm going to see if you can tell me what these different jargon slash slang terms mean from different parts of Canada. Well, my girlfriend's from Nova Scotia, so here's how I prove how much I actually listen. Okay, well, we're going to start in BC then. Sweet. We'll go to the other end of the country. Uh, Chapped. 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 If you're chapped, what does it mean? Uh, Probably like tired or dry? No, if you're chapped, it means you're ticked off at someone. I'm chapped at you. 
That just that just sounds weird. I, I've heard that one before. Chapped. I, you know, I'm feeling chapped at you. No, that's okay. Uh, a doe skin. What's a doe skin? Uh, like a cloth or a chamois? Nope. Think more Canadian. A hat. Well, well a doe skin is a red and black lumberjack jacket. Oh. A doe skin. Oh, okay, then. And there you go. Uh, never heard this one before. A skookum. A skookum? Now, by the way. As we're doing these, I have found these, all of these, on at least a couple of websites. To the best of my knowledge, none of these are offensive. <laughs> so if anyone's listening and goes, you said what? <laughs> the best I can tell, none of these are offensive terms. Please let me know if I say one that I shouldn't have said, but there is no intent to do so. We've Actually, there, were, there was one here that I... Got rid of that sort of was, but anyway, uh, skookum. A skookum is a boat or a canoe. A uh, skookum out in the west coast is a brave or strong person. Uh, of course, of course. What else oh, could it have exactly? Been? A squatch. A squatch. Is that is that Sasquatch? Well, it's 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 based on that. So like base, like a big story that like you know kind of like the fish story. It was bigger every time it's told. If you were sitting on an airplane. And the person sits down next to you and they're a squatch. What are they? They're a large, hairy person. With bad hygiene. Yes, they are. So, yes, Sasquatch. It's like they've been living in the woods for a while and they're... um, I could use that one. I I see myself using that one in the future. uh, This one, I would think that this one is across the country because I've certainly used this myself, although not for a few years. Gitch. Ah, yes. The good old underwear. The good old (laughs) well-worn underwear. If you've got... Now, I mean, see, I would have just called it underwear generally, but apparently the... The real definition has got to be well-worn and like almost about to give way. It's You're paper gitch. thin. But yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and then, uh, okay, The Rock. The Rock is uh, Newfoundland. Well, that's what you would think, except we're out in BC. So The Rock becomes- The, the Rocky Mountains. Vancouver Island. Oh, of course. Of course. See, there you go. That's uh, That's how we do this. Can you tell where I'm from? Okay, Alberta. If you're in Alberta and you refer to, and you call something Cowtown, what's Cowtown? Uh, Calgary. Calgary, right. Uh, May Longy. Excuse you. Yeah, May Longy. Uh, I feel like this is one of those, it sounds like. May Longy. No idea. I'm going to be honest. The May Long Weekend. Oh. May Longy. It does sound like something. I, I was half there. Uh, Bud. A Bud Light? It could be. Or? A Bud? Like a friend of yours? Or your friend. Yeah, exactly. Uh, let us see here. Uh, we keep going with this. See, I'd never heard this one before, though. It's a great one. Buckle bunny. A buckle bunny? A buckle bunny. Police officer? No, not even close. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a buckle bunny. If you were, if you were at the rodeo and you were a rather studly cowboy, you might attract the attention of a buckle bunny. Oh, so they're kind of like a mud crickets is what I've heard people. If you're at like a... That's like a these, new one to me. <laughs> it, it's the similar thing, but if to you're a at puck like bunny. a puck bunny. It's a bunny. similar yep. thing to a puck bunny. Snow yes. bunnies. A female yeah. groupie. Um, okay, if you're in Saskatchewan mainly, but anywhere in the prairie slash Alberta, a bunny hug. A, What's a bunny hug? A bunny hug? This is a cool one. I've never heard this before, but this is a this is one I'm going to try and inject into my everyday conversation. A, a bunny hug. A bunny hug. Is that kind of like a piece of advice? A bunny hug is a hoodie. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that one. A bunny hug. You're wearing your bunny hug. Oh, that makes sense. Of course, you'll have to explain it to every single person (laughs) you meet, but that's okay. Um, 
Okay, here's one that they say is from the prairies and from Alberta, although I think everybody uses it. Kitty Corner. I feel like I used to know this one. I don't even know on that one. <laughs> it's two things that are positioned diagonally. So if you're Kitty Corner, you're sort of uh. on a diagonal angle. Um, a stubble jumper. Stubble jumper. Is that like a young child, like, you know, 13, 14-year-old kind it, of thing? It refers to someone from the prairies, apparently. Did not know that one. Huh. Uh, okay, and um, let's go to, okay, Ontario. Now, we this one, by rights, we should know every single one from Ontario. Absolutely. I will know this 100%. Chesterfield. The couch. Okay. Hutch. Uh, a hutch. Like like the one on the beach? Not the store, no, although no, hutch uh, is delicious food, Mm-mm, but no. Uh, a hutch. A hutch. Is that kind of like a, what you go ice fishing in? That would be a hut. It's close. No, a hutch would be a storage cabinet. Oh. Like a, the, a but not built into the wall. Uh, a 2-4. A 2-4. Uh, yes, the good old 24-pack of beer. Mm-hmm. Runners. Runners are your sneakers or your yep. running shoes. Uh, chirpin. Chirpin. It's when you're making fun of someone or you're yep. like, you know, See? you're just giving them some chirps. Uh, clicks. Clicks? Oh. Is that like a nice pair of shoes, like the heels you got there? No. Think of it in terms of a car. Clicks. Oh. Uh, a car that won't start or like your keys? No. refers to a kilometer. Oh. So if you're going oh, like Oh, in clicks, that case, yes, 100, 100 clicks. clicks. Yep. I thought this was like, you know, a noun. Uh, okay. See, here's one. I've never heard this before. Maybe somebody out there has heard this. We live in Ontario. This is apparently Ontario slang. I have never, ever, ever heard this. Lickbo. Lickbo, the LCBO. Really? You've heard that before? Oh yeah. I've used it before. I've never heard that before. All right. Um, giving her. Giving her is when you're like, you are giving her, you are really sending it. You're really committing to something. All right. Yeah. You, so, yeah, that's good. And then there's a couple here that I don't even know how to say them. <laughs> um, I might be able to help you with this and one. And this one, again, never heard this one. Never heard this one. A jam buster. A jam buster? A jam buster. Uh, is that like someone who just doesn't stop when they're driving? They no, it's a through. jelly-filled donut. I can see how that's called one. Never heard that one. And they, But that's also in the prairies, apparently. I think they mistake, mistook us for um, for the prairies. I don't know. This skookum likes to have his nut busters and his jam busters side by side. Okay, let's go to Quebec. Bines. Like a combine? Bines. No, pork and beans. Oh. Uh, A blockhead. Someone who's not so smart? No, an anglophone living within Quebec. Oh. Ouch. Yeah. um, See, some of these, I don't even... uh, A dep. If you go to the dep, where are you going? Uh, the depot, a Home Depot or like a hardware store? Corner store. Man, we got some work to do on our, uh, I have known none of these either. None of these. I say again, can you guess where I'm from? <laughs> yeah. Uh, tof. Tof. T-O-F. Uh, he's tough, like, like strong. I guess difficult or rough. Okay. Thick, thick skins, you know, rough and tumble. Yeah, no. Okay, so let's let's see, head out to your girlfriend's area here. I let's was going to say, have you tried saying the French ones with a French accent? Yeah, maybe that would have helped. But maybe? I, some of these, I don't even know how you say them. All right, Atlantic Canada. There's more from Atlantic Canada than in, anywhere else in the country. Not surprising. Well, it is kind of the land of shorthand. It's the land of not being able to understand a word <laughs> of what they're saying. I mean, you go through Quebec, and if you don't speak French, you're lost. And then you go to Atlantic Canada, where you believe you've returned to English, and then you get there and you go... Nope. 
<laughs> I don't know what it is, but it ain't English. It's something else. I hear some English words built in there, but that's about where it ends. I don't know. So anyway, here we go. Um, uh, bye. Uh, the boy. Yeah. A dude or pal or yep. whatever. Uh, chucklehead. Chucklehead is someone who is not so smart. That you know, would be correct. You're being a chucklehead. Uh, can't tell you that one, even though, see, here's, here's one of those ones. I'm not going to say what it is. It's a word that doesn't mean at all what it means in the rest of the country, but in the rest of the country, it would be a horribly offensive epithet. But here it means something completely different, which is what, so I'm not going to say it because it'll get us off the air, but boy, you realize how the communication gap in certain areas, how some people who don't know one language and come to another, how could they could get in trouble? Anyway, I'll leave that one alone. Um, is it a swear word elsewhere? It would be anywhere outside of Atlantic Canada, apparently saying this in any context would probably get you fired from your job. Well then. Yeah. So we're not going to do that one. Good thing you're out on a boat in the middle of the water. Uh, huffed. Huffed? Huffed. Uh, you're like tired. If you're huffed, you're cursed. Oh. Uh, pogey. Pogey is, you know, you're on EI, employment insurance. Uh, yeah, you're on some sort of social assistance. Yes. Um, I don't even, okay, got a, sure gone with you. Uh, that's the valley, I believe, or like a town in the sure area. Sure gone with you. Sure, uh, an exclamation of disbelief. I probably didn't say that one right. Um, I can see Bill getting her on the line and we can, re- she, she can call you everything and nothing all at the same time. She's excellent at it. Uh, let's see. Makes well, my did, head spin. Where, yeah. Where did the Atlantic one go here? Uh, oh, East coast. Here we go. Uh, Sobey's bag. Sobey's bag is probably like a shopping bag, like a reusable one. Yeah. Uh, any plastic bag, regardless of the label, they call a Sobey's bag. Uh, fill your boots. Fill your boots. Take as much as you want. You know, you yeah. can help yourself, help yourself. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, and then they've got the list here of coast to coast. Uh, and none of these would be a surprise to anybody. Uh, Looney, Double Double, Took, Mountie. We all know those ones. Easy. Um, yeah, there you go. So I don't know how many of those you knew. I knew a bunch. I knew the Ontario ones. I knew a bunch of the other ones, but Skookum, never heard of it. Squatch, wouldn't have got that one. Gitch, would have got Gitch. I've had, I've been called Gitch. It's been called Gitch when it's on me. And I've called other people that are referred to their Gitch. Do That's a have, word we don't use nearly enough. Do we have anything on the list for where the word A comes from? Because it is, in fact, a word. So I just got an email from Frank saying, where does A come from? <laughs> <laughs> you guys are uh, in kismet here. Uh, no idea. I, I'm assuming A is a derivative of something French because E-H would be a lot of French words would end. That I, I would assume, but uh, I have no idea. I've often thought that it was kind of the same way how... Uh, if you go to like Australia, for example, they'll often finish it with, hey, question mark, you know, kind of, you know, da, 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 hey, maybe it's something kind maybe. of like that. Maybe. However, there we go. I'll, I'll leave them for there. And there again, there's uh, this one. And again, I'm not going to say it, but boy, it really, the, the interesting thing about this to me is, again, it's a really offensive term. And yet, apparently in some other part of the country, it may not, according to this, it may not be offensive at all. Which again, talk about complicated for someone, especially if you were to come from another part of the world and settle in Atlantic Canada where you learn your English. Heaven help you if that's the case. <laughs> but if you do, and then you move to some other part of Canada, like I, there was a guy, 
a soccer player. I remember that was, uh, and we got to go, but a number of months ago, there was a soccer player who was on TV being interviewed after a game. And he was a very, very Christian man of faith who, you know, not a guy who was going to talk about stuff that was off color or whatever. And he dropped about three F-bombs in his interview. And I knew a bit of his background. I was like, really? He was mortified afterwards when someone said that you had been swearing on TV because he had, he was not from this country. He was from Spain or somewhere and had come here and learned English in the dressing room where guys just say that all the time. He had no idea that he was swearing. He didn't realize it's a transition word. No idea that he was swearing. He just heard people say this all the time and it's like, like, right? When people use like this or what, uh, he just boom, out it went. Had no idea. And after the interview, he was mortified that he'd been swearing. Well, this word would be the same thing. You learn this in Atlantic Canada and move somewhere else. End of the job for you. You're going back. You're going back to Atlantic Canada where you can use it, I guess. Cause this one, ooh, no, 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 no. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.